Another edition of the Grizz Den Pod. We are celebrating an improbable win uh, by bringing you a podcast featuring a guest that's now sort of more of like a co-host. John Kraft is back. John, the reception was so good from your episode that we decide decided to make you, you know, like a full part of the SNL cast. Not only just a featured player like you're in. So welcome back to the podcast. I appreciate it. Thank you. I uh, I tried to spread it out, telling people listen to it so they'll have me back. So Perfect. Well, it worked. Ty is also here from his office. Ty, Undisclosed how you doing? location. Yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. here, man. I'm still recovering from what was a... I don't even know how to explain last night. I know. To be honest with you, it was. Insane. We'll get into it, but basically, here's what I would basically. Here's how I would enter the pot. Last night, we were all in a text thread, and I feel as though it was sort of a funeral uh, for the season because <laughs> I, I at least in the arena, Kraft, you were there as well, correct? Correct. I was there. I was yeah. There. So, so in the arena. At some point in like the third quarter, I just had to start processing about like, okay, we're not going to win this game. That means that it's very improbable that we make it out of this series, given how Minnesota's playing, given how Jaws looking in terms of his injury, given that Jaron has now fouled out of, an, of another game, and we we need to just reevaluate things, get into the off season. I had some knee jerk reactions that I was really fighting and wanted to basically have some space before I, I actually had a reaction on the podcast or anything. And then all of a sudden, things started to, to change, and we started to, to chip away. And slowly but surely, John Morant, um, I don't know if he's like Wolverine or something, but he looked like Jaw again, even though I'm sure he's still hurt. I'm not exactly sure medically how that happened. Um, but the stat that I'll, I'll read here is from ESPN Stats and Info. The Grizzlies are the first team in NBA history to have multiple wins in a single playoff series in which they trailed by double digits entering the fourth quarter. That's nuts. That's historic. Nobody's ever done it. The Grizzlies have now done it twice. Um, and we are sitting up three games to two heading back to Minnesota uh, with a chance to close it out on Friday. So, Kraft, I'll start with you. You were in the building as well. What did you feel throughout the game, especially in the third quarter going into the fourth quarter, and how did how did you see this game flipping in the way that it did? Yeah, I, do, I, I, was, I was like you, beginning to process, um, you know, uh, <laughs> having my son there, beginning to figure out how to, you know, lose, try to lose well, try to not uh, freak out too much. Um, processing how much I was going to think about all the missed free throws and wide open threes and uh, you know, and, and going through that whole motion. And, and I think for me, especially the frustration of being up 13 two early uh, when of course, Jaron decided to plow through uh, Patrick Beverly for a four point play and to get a second foul. And so, yeah, so lots, lots of that. And, and in fact, I mean, I, I was in such a bad place and I'm sure we'll talk about the dunk. 
the jaw dunk, I it got me off my feet, but I don't think I even enjoyed it because in my mind I was <laughs> thinking, what a waste! What an amazing play to be wasted in a loss. So the true. way I felt. Um, so, uh, so yeah. So that I mean, I y'all y'all can y'all can go on, but that was the way I was feeling, and then it wasn't really until. Um, probably, you know, when the small ball lineup came in and jaw just started going to the basket and looking like jaw again, that I began to think maybe we have a chance here. what do you think? Doug? Um, I just, I have to re. I think one of the best things that we do is we text literally all game. So as the kids say, we got receipts. Until just, they until they start coming back, and then it's like an unspoken, nobody, stop, everybody stop. It's so great. So I texted y'all at 8.52 p.m., simple, we aren't winning. Couldn't get more clear how I felt at 8.52 p.m. last night. Let's see. Yeah. At 9.21, all I texted y'all was dead with all caps. What preceded those texts is, Will, you just tweeted the crying emoji at 920, which is about the time that Ja hit the layup to win the game. That's 30 minutes. That's 30 minutes of like real life time, which is about six minutes of basketball time. That to me sums up the entire game. I went from we just simply aren't winning. We're not good. We can't do it. We can't, we just, I just, all game, it just seemed like the Wolves were trying to let us back in the game. We like tried to make runs, tried to make runs. There was one possession where we would like hit a three to cut it to like six, get a stop. We would come back down with a dumb turnover. They would hit a three. We would try to drive to the rim next possession, miss a layup or something stupid would happen and they would come down and hit another three or Torian Prince turned into like prime Kobe there for about a six minute stretch. It was just like the most frustrating game. And I've never like, I felt so hopeless. I felt like we couldn't like the wolves were trying and we just couldn't make a run. I even texted y'all. It's hard to make a run when you can't hit a shot. I mean, we had open look after open look after open look. Um, I have the stats pulled up here in front of me. We went seven for 28 from three. Honestly, of the 28 threes, 20 of them were probably like awesome looks. And we just couldn't hit anything. So it felt hopeless. And then Ja just decided to, yeah, I don't know what happened. Maybe we like changed out legs to start the fourth. I'm really not sure. But he just went nuts, took over the game. Brandon Clark, all the all the BC apologists out here, um, truly flipped the game. Seven offensive rebounds in the fourth quarter is insane. Uh, just he played out of his mind. Bain was so steady. I love Finch being dumb, allowing us to play Tyus. So they kept McLaugh, 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 that shocked it, me. McLaughlin. When I saw him coming in. It shocked yeah. me. Yeah, I was like, he's allowing us to do it because Finch is not. He could have easily created some form of mismatch and didn't. Um, Dylan went one for 10 from three, three for 18 in the game and hit a huge shot. His, his one, three was like a huge shot. His defense on cat to close again, Finch being dumb, not giving the ball to cat at all. Um, just a wild, I wouldn't even call it a roller coaster. It was just like, you're driving off a cliff. Like, you know, the cliff is coming here. It is all of a sudden you like 
your front of the car tips over the ledge. And then all of a sudden it's like not a cliff or something. It was the wildest thing of all time. I mean, I remember, I mean, when, when cat shushed the crowd after hitting that three to go up 13, I mean, I felt that, uh, that yes, you have, you've made us quiet and <laughs> you know, I didn't think it was going to become a, a meme the next day of everybody making fun of them and lecturing. So uh, them, but. I saw a tweet from hard, I think it's hardwood paroxysm or something like that. Matt Moore. Um, yeah, so he, he tweeted a screenshot of the cat shush like midway through the fourth and just said, too soon. <laughs> he could see it coming. It was awesome. I I really thought the free throw thing was the most frustrating, at least in the arena. I could feel just every, especially Jaw starting, I believe it was like two for seven or something from the line. And he, that's the problem with his game being so uh, just like dependent upon attacking the paint. He's going to get those foul calls. And I was prepared to say, you know, like if he can't, if he can't hit free throws, then I don't even, and he's not hitting jumpers for sure. I don't even know what you do at, at that point because I don't feel good about get him going to the line which means that when he's attacking the basket, you know, if you're the Timberwolves, I'm like, don't let anything get, like, we're going to foul him every time, and we'll have to, we'll rotate Nas Reed in for a couple possessions if we have to just to foul him. And with Dylan not hitting, with Jaron not being in, Bain was just, I mean, as steady as you can be. Granted, I mean, he went three for eight from three, which is a very normal line, like 38% from three, and it seems low for Bain. But, um, I mean, it almost was like, this is just not going to work. And then I feel like, too, there's something to be said for the momentum plays where you either have an and one, and if you miss the free throw, it just kind of feels like, ugh, we just gave something up there. And then, of course, from the three-point line, it's the quickest way to really get yourself back into a game. And the fact that we shot 25% from three and 66% from the line and still somehow managed to win this game is beyond me. And, um, I mean, it, at the end of the I, – I, I believe the stat was we hit 12 of our last 14 free throws, and that was wow. the difference. I know I was Ja, just, I think, went 9 for 10 in the fourth. Yeah, um, that makes Which sense. was huge. So, yeah, yeah, I just want to read out some stats and just let me know how y'all think this game would go. So, they hit 14 threes, shot 42% on 33 attempts. Will, you just mentioned, we mentioned it earlier, we shot 25% and hit seven. They doubled us up on threes again. Going into the fourth quarter, I'm pretty sure Ja had like 12 points. Didn't he have 18 in the fourth? Yes. So he had 12 points going into the fourth quarter. Dylan, yeah, let's just get there. 18 shot attempts, hit three. Awful. Jaren really, fouled really out. tried to shoot himself into the game. Oh, kept, kept launching them. Jaren played. I feel like we had a couple of possessions of Dylan shooting multiple shots. Like yeah, we would get we would get an side. offensive rebound. Yep. Jaren played 18 minutes and fouled out, and had 12 points and five rebounds. Um, still had two blocks, of course. Um, just like if I were just to like blanket you read those, you'd be like, yeah, we definitely lost that one. Shouldn't have won the game, I don't think. I think we should talk about how the rotation now is pretty tight. And I think that we've identified 
the seven slash sort of eight that we feel good about playing in these games. And the seven are, you know, Clark basically in that five-man starting unit replacing Tillman, and then you have Tyus Jones and Kyle Anderson. And, I mean, I'll put Tillman in there, but I don't think he is necessarily part of this core lineup that you feel good about in, like, the second half of games. He's more, to me, like, I, I we were texting about this beforehand because they announced that Tillman was starting. I liked it, but and I didn't mention this when we were talking about it, but when I thought more through it, it really, to me, came down to the way that these games are being called. It's almost better to have a guy like Tillman who you know can hold his own but maybe absorb a few of those foul calls at the beginning of the game because then you at least open up either Jaron or Clark to be available at the end without you know some foul trouble unless the game is like game four um, with arrogant and inconsistent officiating. So I thought that was a very notable thing in this game is we almost found our playoff seven slash seven and a half. So what do y'all think about those guys and – the way that Taylor uh, shook these minutes out. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I'm a big fan. I mean, I, you know, we'll see if the 44 minutes that John Bain played affect them in, uh, in the next game. But we do have two days rest in between. Uh, I definitely think that. I mean, I, I do. You know, I'm sure we'll, we'll talk again. Uh, hopefully, when we end the series and go on to the Warriors, I think the. That seven might look really different. The seven eight might look different in that series, but I think we've definitely found the the seven that need to play the vast bulk of the minutes. I think. I mean, I think it feels more and more like Tillman was just a had a great game too, and like it was a Tillman game, but it doesn't seem like he has really produced the other. You know that I just would rather have Kyle or Brandon in that situation, and uh, I mean Brandon played thirty eight minutes, and he got better as the game went along. So I don't – at this point, I kind of want to see him playing a lot and maybe even starting, but we'll see. Yeah, I yeah, mean – Go ahead, Todd. I was just going to say, Brandon Clark, I don't, I don't think you can give him enough credit in this game. Like, I just think that he, to me, was this energy. What He he and Bain, to me, are the two guys throughout this whole series that you could rely on. Ty is some, but Bain and Brandon really had the volume. They had – they had just the steadiness that we needed. And I don't necessarily disagree about putting Clark in the starting lineup if we want to, um, because he doesn't, he's not as foul prone. Uh, but it would be, it would be interesting to see what he can look like from a sustainability perspective, because he did, like you say, play really big minutes tonight. But, and I don't see that changing necessarily. Uh, but is he a guy that we continue to see uh, 30, 32 plus minutes a night? It'll be interesting. Um, I'm, I'm interested to see too if we get to the next series, which I'm not counting us into the next round at all. I don't even want to put that on the table. But yes, we will talk about that. Ty, what do you think? Yeah, shrinking it had to happen. Um, Tillman's yeah not doing much. I guess in theory he helps you at the start of games because cat can get started on a, on a fast, you know, start fast, but he did that last night anyway. Um, so BC, I think has averaged 
or he's like had twenty over twenty points three different times in the series or something like that. If he's not playing thirty five minutes a game in this series, it's just criminal. Like the dude has to play. When we talk about so people love to talk about Jaron as being this like nightmare like matchup problem and all that kind of stuff. They don't have a single player on their roster that can handle Brandon when he's doing what he's doing and doing it well. Their like pick and roll defense is set up for like the pick and pop stuff. It's not set up well for like a hard, hard rolling big man. And Brandon is just rolling to the rim and just get into the paint at will. And either I mean he had two or three just completely uncontested dunks at the rim because they can't they can't help well. Like they their their defense is bad, and that's one one way to exploit it. Um, is try to make Cat run around a little bit. And it's really easy when Jaron is popping at the five. Kyle's like not really fast enough and not like a vertical threat, right? And Adam just isn't playing. Tillman's not really a vertical threat either. I think Brandon has a, is a huge matchup problem with him. I think he should play, yeah, at least 35 minutes a night. Um, I think, again, we kind of – I mentioned this earlier. I think Finch playing McLaughlin so much – is really helpful for us because it allows Tyus to play too. So there was an instance last night where he had Pat Bev, McLaughlin, and D'Lo on the floor at the same time. We can go as small as we want. Like we can, that's awesome for us. Like let's do it. Uh, also, one other thing I wanted to mention was Dylan's defense on Cat. So the point being is like when Kyle guards Cat or when Brandon cards guards Cat. So far in this series, if he gets it in the block, we immediately send a double, right? If we're going to immediately send a double anyway, why not just guard him with Dylan? You know, like we're already sending the double. So just like start out there anyway. Cat doesn't like to do that. He loves to get the ball at the top of the key after the pick and pop. And he loves to take people off the dribble. He's not going to get around Dylan. He's just not going to do it. And I don't even know if he can move him physically either. He can shoot over the top of him, sure. But that's going to be a contested either step back jumper or contested three. And like, I'd rather live with that than him like rumbling down the lane, drawing fouls all night long. Right. I think we might've secretly found something there of Jenkins basically being freed up to like go super, super small. And I kept thinking, I was like, cause I kept thinking of the next series and I was like, Draymond would absolutely be playing the five and he would absolutely be, be guarding cat. They're the same size. Dylan and Draymond are like both six seven. I think Draymond has a much like longer wingspan, maybe, but Dylan's like just as strong physically, just as grounded, just as athletic, right? Like if you're thinking of that matchup, I think it makes sense to instead of going back to the Tillman minutes, the or even bringing Steven Adams in back into play in the series, and I think that might happen. I think Jenkins has has was shown like, hey, I can go really small and like not get killed. Like, we're going to have to defensively rebound like crazy. Like, everyone's going to have to crash the boards, and maybe that hurts our run-out offense, our transition offense. I don't really know. But then if you play really small, you basically got whoever gets the defensive rebound can just go. Like, we don't don't have Steven Adams having to look for an outlet. We don't have Tillman having to look for an outlet. Like, whoever gets the ball just goes. And I think that could open up some things, too. I also think Dylan, um, who actually has been really good. I mean, it seems like he's learned a lot about foul trouble. uh, Yeah, for sure. Years past, but. The one great thing is when your bigs get away with more physicality. And so I think, you know, Dylan is going to get the benefit of the doubt because, I mean, he was extremely physical with Cat last night, and he was allowed to be that way and to get away with it. Um, If you look up Timberwolves tweets, fan tweets, you'll see that. Uh, And and I think he can get away with that. 
um, just because of the size difference. I think refs just don't let let small guys be real physical with big guys for whatever yeah. reason. So, and there's been several instances where. Cat's been guarded by a smaller guy and he takes him off the dribble and he does that like off arm, just like throwing it out, like pushing off. Every time you see Kyle Anderson guard him, he looks at the ref after the play and just like motions like the push off. Cat's going to get that called against him probably in game six, maybe not multiple times, but there's going to be a big possession where he drives to the paint, pushes off with that chicken wing elbow, and it's going to be an offensive foul. And I think you're to your exact point. When he's guarded by a wing, that's much more likely to get called than it would be against a big. Also, Kat and Jaron remind me of each other when they drive. Like, if you just stand in front of them, they don't really have the quickness to either, like, get around you or the niftiness to, like, stop quickly. Like, they can't stop quickly. Like, once they start lumbering, they're just going to continue to go the hole for better or for worse. And I think when we have smaller, quicker wings on him, we can get in front and at least like draw a charge, some, make something happen there and try to make him like a playmaker instead of just giving, giving him like a wide open lane to just run and go dunk. Dylan at the four also gives you Jaron Jackson Jr. insurance. And Jaron to me is going to be the story that people would have been talking about 10 times more than they are because – of the fact that John Morant helped pull out a win uh, from the jaws of defeat. And I'm, I'm officially worried about Jaron and it is not a lack of belief in his ability to get somewhere. It's just how soon is that going to happen? I think that there were probably two calls out of his six fouls that I thought could have gone either way. Um, he is not getting any benefit of the doubt in terms of the whistle. The the Pat Bev th- foul on the three-point line that you just referenced earlier, Kraft, was inexcusable. Like, if you, if I'm talking to Jaron, it it, it's the dumbest fouls that he can eliminate, and it's just a matter of thinking. Like, I don't understand. I get how he plays. I get that he's going to go for these blocks, and I love that he does. Um, because he has this special ability, I think that there are just so many mental hurdles that he's going to have to take to finally get to this point where it is better for him to give up a layup than it is for him to get a foul and not be on the floor because all the metrics will show you, even when he's playing quote-unquote poorly on offense, when he's in the game, we are going to be better. And it's just this point of frustration, and I think – it's going to get to a boiling point here if it's not already there. I, I think it's there, honestly, because he literally has not played um, well in this series except for garbage time of game two. And so it's just, I don't, that's the one of the only negative storylines I feel like that, that we need to be discussing here on this yeah. shorter podcast after the game. And I think that's something you feel in the arena. Uh, the murmurs. I know. I mean, I, I love him shooting threes. I know that's like a debate, uh, but you can tell people groan when he's wide open for three and he shoots people groan, like people, there's an audible groan every time he gets a foul um, in the crowd. And you know that, if, I mean, he feels that. Um, and it's just, yeah, I, I mean, last night was really disappointing in the sense that I mean, I'm every game I'm calling him and I'll even say game six, Jaron actually plays 30 minutes. Uh, you know, the hope, 
but it was like it's like he got even worse last night uh fouling two three-point shooters uh getting in the air on a tar- on a prince drive when it's like let him shoot that exactly you know i mean let him just stand up and let him shoot over your arms uh just dumb fa- i mean like honestly let pat Beverly shoot that three i mean totally. you, you didn't he still made it anyway but like that that should be a part of our defense is letting him have a wide open shot not the other guys it's just it, it just is seems very strange and yes i mean he he was so happy and running over to jaw last night and i think he probably knew um, that he kind of got saved from being what every what everybody would be would be talking about in Memphis today. He would have been the scapegoat for sure. Even though, I mean, yeah, every, there was there was bad play all around for the first three quarters. But man, it's hard to deny that his yeah. his lack of impact has been felt uh, strongly. And and I, you know, we've been critical of Finch. I mean, one thing that I think, which I hope, you know, I hope isn't a trend. But, I mean, it does seem like he has basically told people once Jaron puts the ball on the ground, just get in front of him and dive backwards because totally. refs are going to give you the benefit of the doubt. Um, and even I went to a re- review and gave them a benefit of the doubt last night against Jaron. So I just think that's Jaron. Jaron's rep is going to be that way, and uh, hopefully it changes. Yeah. All right, so it's funny because I feel like when we get on the podcast and, and, and it's been a performance – uh, from jaw that is just transcendent we tend to like mention it so and then true. talk about everything else i mean here's how i'll talk about jaw and i want to talk about it in the lens of ranking this particular game in the all-time grizzlies lore so i made a top five grizzlies game of all time list and i want you guys to to react to it, and then we can talk about any honorable mentions, but this is how we'll close out the pod, by just recognizing the iconic performance that this was um, on the shoulders of John Morant. So, okay, at my... I'm actually going to start at the top, because then we we don't need to build any, you know, <laughs> anticipation here. Let's start at the top. I think Game 6 versus the Spurs in 2011 is... The best, I, I mean, I'll never forget it. Uh, I was in the building, but and the, and the way I sort of thought about these top five games were what were the stakes, what were the odds that it had to be overcome, and what were any like unique, amazing performances in them. And I think that had all three taking down number one seed Spurs uh, in six games, and then the Zach Randolph fourth quarter, which ironically enough was the record that John Morant broke last night of points in a quarter. Uh, in the playoffs. So that's number one for me. Um, number two for me actually was the uh, game four versus the Spurs again in 2017. So that was the Kawhi led Spurs when Mike Conley hit the shot to, to take it to overtime. Marcus all hit the game winner. It was sort of in the twilight of the grit and grind era. And to me, it was kind of the last team that I felt like had a real shot, even though they were seventh seed. Um, and it, it basically, I believe that game tied up the series at 2-2, and there was a real belief there. So that was number two. I have number three with an asterisk this game. And the reason why is because – the reason why there's an asterisk is because we don't know the stakes yet because if the Grizzlies end up losing the series, then this game goes down. Like, to me, they have to close out the series or else this isn't necessarily like an all-time um, – Grizzlies playoff game because we didn't end up materializing into anything. Um, 
four, I'll close out here. Game two versus the Warriors, the Mike Conley mask game, 2015. We've talked about it on the podcast. We think there's an argument that that's like the best Grizzlies team had the best chance to win. Uh, that game gave us hope in San Francisco. It was unbelievable. And then finally, I actually have the 2011 game one versus the Spurs because I feel like if you don't win that game one, then you don't have the momentum going to the series. You don't steal home court. And none of this might have happened. Um, so that's my top five. Do you disagree with anything in that list, whether it's the order or the exclusion of another game? Uh, actually, that would probably be my list. Um, it's funny because I was thinking about game five in uh, 2013 against the Thunder. But honestly, I don't really remember that game. <laughs> So, so it's like, I don't have like th that whole thing. I mean, I, I remember parts of that series, but you know, it's more just for what it meant, which was we were going to the Western conference finals and less for um, just the moment by moment. Um, and I think uh, the only, you know, the, the, the only other game that comes to mind for me is the Blake Griffin chokehold by mm. Zebo game yep. in uh, where we clinched in 2013 game six uh, but I think that would have been four or five. I definitely think you have, um, especially for playoff games, That's that would be my order. I mean, subjectively, since Marcus Gasol is like my favorite Grizzly at this point ever, I love I love your number two. Um, but I think number one was obviously, is, is objectively the number one for me. The Clippers was my number six for what it's worth. No. So no. it was between that and the Spurs game one. But what do you think, Ty? I, yeah, I, I mean, I agree. There, you can kind of shuffle those around any way you want to. You kind of hit the hit the big ones. Um, the one I just I love the correlation with Zebo <clears throat> scoring seventeen in the fourth quarter to close out the Spurs in twenty eleven. Um, yes, this wasn't a closeout game last night, but it felt like one. You know, um, if we would have lost last night, it would have been tough, like extremely tough. Um, and we needed it. Like we needed every one of those buckets last night that, that jaw got us. And the other thing is just such a struggle to start the game. It'd be one thing if he was just like cooking all game. Um, I mean, he looked like a shell of himself for the first three quarters up until like that dunk. Um, another cool thing is like after the, the Zebo became a legend, like after that series, I was kind of thinking, like, did this put Ja in, like, the Pantheon? He's kind of already there, obviously. You know, like, he's had his moments. Like, he scored 40 against Utah last year in the playoffs. Yeah, we lost 4-1 to in the series. The play-in game, I think he had, like, 35-plus or something like that. Even in the bubble against Portland, he, like, went nuts and had 30-plus. So he's had a lot of moments. But last night it seemed different because it was like he was, he just didn't have it. And he just like willed his way. And he decided after that dunk, it seemed like, and Chris Harrington spoke on this too. Like, cause there was another, uh, the deep fried couch Twitter account. His name's chase. I don't know him. Seems like a great dude. Uh, love his Twitter. Um, but he was like, kind of tweeted this morning. Yeah, the Jaws dunk. And I mean, Kraft, you were kind of talking like the, the Jaws dunk was awesome, but it was kind of like they got it up to 13 points to start the fourth, like immediately after that. So like it kind of like the air kind of like let out of the balloon a little bit. But Harrington was like, I think for Jaw, I think that's when he decided like I'm taking over this game. When he made that dunk, he attacked the rim. I think he was like, all right, this fourth quarter, 
I'm going to go down swinging as hard as I can. And you could tell, like he was just living in the paint, relentless driving to the rim. Um, and I think last night that, that if we win this series and I don't, again, Golden State, we have to win this series first. But if something wild happens this playoff series, I guarantee you we will look back at this fourth quarter of Ja and been like, that sparked something. We have been off all series. We've played one good game, six good quarters the whole series. We haven't looked right at all. And this is what changed everything was Jaws four. Like if we make a run, I'm going to point to that. Yeah. And I'm not saying yeah. we will. We may lose six and seven. But if something happens, I'm going to point back to that fourth quarter. And I'm going right. to point to Jaw. Yeah, it's three with an asterisk, not just because it might go out, but it might go up. To totally. One, depending yep. on what happens. I mean, because that's, um, you know, again, like this is all like we're always nervous about getting ahead of ourselves. But I mean, that was because, you know, part of it was, you know, talking to William a little bit and then thinking about, it. I mean, that's like the way I felt in a negative experience, which was like a war warriors game six for us in 2015, which, you know, like we talked about might be the best Grizzlies team. And it was, I remember that moment where it was like, we're playing our best. Um, I mean, we're injured, but, but like we've kind of given them our shot and they have Steph Curry and we don't. Yeah. And, and I feel like that's the way Timberwolves feel today, which is uh, we're the, we've played better than the Grizzlies but the Grizzlies are the better team. And that's because, and one big reason is they have a superstar in John Moran and he does what he does. He did what he did last night, even after having shaky first three quarters. And that just it makes all the difference. And this could be that game that really showed that. I'll leave you with a stat. Um, I might've mentioned it last time. I don't think I did, but through four games, Minnesota had led 71% of the minutes. After game five, they have now led 73% of the minutes and down 3-2. And that is the magic of John Morant, and we're here for it. So, guys, thanks for joining us uh, on the Grizzden Pod. We hope that the next time we're with you, we will be previewing a second-round series. Uh, knock on wood, let's finish this out. We know Minnesota um, can play and bring it at home. And so let's hope we don't have to uh, – Let's hope we don't have to play in FedEx Forum unless it is the next round. So for Kraft, for Ty, for Brantley, shout out. I'm Will. We'll talk to you soon.